0: I'm Mike Weir, Chief Revenue Officer at G2, the world's largest and most trusted software marketplace. And welcome to Go to Market Innovators, the series where we sit down with B2B revenue and marketing leaders to learn about the successes they've had, the challenges they've faced, and how they've used technology to create an aligned sales and marketing organization to drive their businesses forward. Hello, everybody. On today's episode, I am very excited to be joined by Ellie Fields. She's the Chief Product and Engineering Officer at SalesLoft. Previously, Ellie had led senior product development, marketing, and general management roles at Tableau and Microsoft. She is a SaaS industry veteran who is passionate about seeing people grow, products roll out, and all those pieces coming together. And for an effective go-to-market strategy, we know all these pieces certainly have to come together. So I'm very excited to get Ellie's insights today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. So Ellie, you've told me before how you find reality to be the biggest challenge in P2P go-to-market. I've interviewed and talked to a lot of people so far for this program. That has not come up yet. You got to expand on what does that mean and why is this the case today?
1: Well, Mike, reality is so troublesome Um, and it is troublesome across the the whole go to market, but I'll I'll focus on within sales. I think it's, it's a problem because sales leaders hire their teams to do specific things. If you're hiring human beings to sell, you probably want them to connect with buyers and help buyers strategize and, create shared value. And, and that's what sellers want to do as well. But when you, when you look at a seller's day, there are some stats that show they're doing that for 25% of the time or less. Mm. They're checking their email, they're checking this system, that system. Sellers have a lot of information available to them today, but it's in a bunch of different systems. So your guess is as good as mine about how often it gets used. Um, there are best practices that we know sellers should follow, like sending a follow-up email after a meeting, but, Honestly, if you watch a seller do that, it actually takes 10 to 15 minutes to gather all the right information and put the email together and get it sent off and you got to remember to do it. Sellers have a bunch of post-it notes all over their machines or <laughs> notes in this place or that. And it is it is really chaos for them, uh, especially as they've had to deal with more buyers, um, more complicated buyer cycles, uh, more, more educated buyers. And so I, when I say reality is a problem, I think... You know, sometimes sales leaders um, or, or any leader, uh, you know, is is thinking about this clean, crisp uh, world that their their sellers are living in and they're following this sales process and this buyer journey. But when you watch a seller, it's it's so much more chaotic than that.
0: Nice. Uh, so I would agree there. There's a disconnect. And so I, I get that perception is not reality. That's an excellent point. I think you may really good uh, really good points about data as well. and I think that's one I'd, I'd love for you to explore a little bit before we dig in on some of the the bigger challenge that you're uncovering here. you know data, as you've said it before to me, data isn't everything but it's a really important ingredient. Uh, anything there that you would like to share about the chaos with which sellers operate within, especially as it relates to data?
1: Yeah, data can be super helpful. I think the industry hasn't always helped sellers with data because it's been something over there, and even in my time at Tableau, we had we had data over there. I think I think for data to be helpful to a seller, it has to be in the workflow. And I think of data like, you know, how often um, a, a particular account has engaged over email, or um, what the sentiment of the emails were, or uh, you know, who was talking in a meeting, there's there's a lot of data that's useful, but it's not useful if you have to spend a bunch of time getting it and relating it to what you're doing now. So my core uh, kind of core principle here is that data is most useful when it's in the workflow. And you may mm-hmm. call that data AI. We do that a lot now. Um, you may you may just think about simple lookup data, like, uh, let me just find out the last conversation I had with this person. All of that is data and and context or AI, whatever you want to call it. And it It is incredibly helpful to sellers, uh, but it has to be where they work. And then likewise for sales managers, I think data can be very helpful because it can help them understand what is happening. You know, it can help them Mm -hmm. understand that reality. Are we really sending follow-up emails? How many activities are we doing? Which activities are actually leading to the outcomes we care about, like uh, building pipeline and closing deals. Sales has really not had that data until digital sales, which was accelerated by the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. I think when you have that data, you can actually ask questions about what's working and what's not and get much, much, much smarter about how you're selling.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of really important thoughts within there that I'd love to go a little bit deeper on. You know, uh, at, at the beginning of it, you mentioned that one of the fundamental problems of reality that that we as sales leaders and i think cmos play a role in this as well is bring organization to the chaos yeah and then the second thought was uh, also there of like data really doesn't have value unless it's usable unless it's visible unless it's trackable um but no one instance of how somebody operates should be considered the rule. I think that was kind of one of the profound things when you first challenged me on people are living outside reality is like, you think it's this perfect way everybody's doing it because you've seen one person do it well. It's like, no, not everybody's doing that same thing. So where do we go from here? Kind of knowing that we have a little disconnect from reality, we have to bring some organization to chaos. We have to use data better. How do you see us making meaningful improvements in our go-to-market motions and helping sellers do their jobs most effectively?
1: That's a great question. I, I think the first thing is to watch and listen and really understand what's going on with the sellers.
0: Mm. The
1: seller's day is so important. And is there a way that you can get sellers in one place where they're working? One of the things that we've tried to do at Sales Loft is actually build a signal to action engine that can bring in general signals like from G2 and elsewhere, not just signals from within our platform. And what that means is that sellers can have one place, one list of actions to go to. Whatever mm-hmm. the workflow is, understanding where your sellers are and knowing that having them go to 10, 12 different places in, in a day to get their work done is not going to be effective. That's, that's certainly one thing we can do. I think the other thing that we can do is, um, is pay attention to that data, You know, track the data, look at the data. Sometimes I hear sales leaders say, I want to take my best seller and have everyone replicate what they do. And that's powerful too, but you have to be, be able to identify that bestseller and mm. what are they doing? What is the actual practice or the talk track or what are they doing that is replicable? You know, if they're a personable uh, gal from Minnesota, not everyone's going to be able to be a personable gal from Minnesota. Um, but if that personable gal has a just killer talk track on mm. your competitive space, your product value, whatever it is, People can study that and, uh, and and get better at that.
0: Yeah. And you hit on the human element, which I've heard you share a lot before. And the fact that, you know, you hired a human. How do you advocate for folks understanding what those humans are actually doing to then empower those best practices? Are, are you guys doing specific things within your product or even within your own sales team right now to like learn from the best?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of research on sellers, obviously in our own team, but across customers and even companies that aren't customers. And we we just sit and watch. It's the old, you know, sit and watch a seller's day. Uh, so I think there's always some value to that. Uh, talk to a seller in your organization. Uh, data can help here a lot too. Um, you know, sellers are, they tend to be positive people. They tend to want to they always want to succeed and they tend to want to make things work. So sometimes you won't get an answer from them. Like, yeah, you know, I, I closed that deal, but I ended up spending hours on administrative work and sending documents back and forth and trying to find the right thing before I could send it. Um, you won't hear that kind of thing necessarily. And that's where data can come in. So in a, in a lot of, uh, you know, if, if you are using uh, tools for digital sales, if you do have, workflow for your sellers, you can usually get reporting from that that shows you not only where they're spending time, but what's effective, right? Like what kinds of activities are effective. One of the challenges we've had in sales is because we haven't had all of the sophistication necessarily in the tools. Um, We can, we obviously know when things close and we know what kind of activities sellers are doing, but we don't know which ones lead to closing, or to making a deal bigger. And so we've done uh, we've done what you do uh, when you lose your keys on a, on a dark street. We've, we've looked under the lamppost, right? And our under the lamppost has been counting activities. It's useful mm. to count activities, but it's really not that useful. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is figure out which activities are effective. And coach sellers who are doing a lot of activity that may not be effective about how to get more effective. And so I think both by, watching an individual seller but also by looking at data in the aggregate we can figure out what is working and what isn't working
0: yeah and knowing knowing this and having studied so many sales folks i I think this is becoming foundational to the way in which you're architecting your platform and so workflows that's something you've you've mentioned like this this feels really powerful because i believe it is you know, and you guys have yours, everybody has different versions of this to some degree, but I think there's, there's a huge aspect of like the human element that you're bringing to the conversation that I haven't heard as much. And then how do you replicate that with, without kind of taking away the ingenuity of the person, like you're going to say it in your own words, but it's more about the specific type of action and the way in which to do it, that observability mindset that you talked about? Like, I think it just plays into the way sales leaders need to think and operate differently because you already highlighted one, which is it's not just activities, AKA you got to get to a hundred of these widgets. It's like, you got to make sure one, those are the right widgets, but then you got to execute them with the right context and approach. It's like, how does that observability mindset that you as a product leader have how does that transfer? How should we be thinking about that, like as a marketer and a sales professional to just hone the way we operate differently to then connect to workflows that, you know, like you guys are doing within your platform to help empower us day in and day out to do our jobs more effectively?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, observability is a term that we use primarily in product and engineering to talk about being able to see how our systems are working. And to some degree is to be able to see um, how even the systems of build are working, not even deployed products. So what do I mean by that? It means that we can see errors and trace them all the way back to things. We can see throughput and uptime and so on. And uh, we can even see what, what works in terms of how often you wanna commit code and how, how quickly you wanna review that code. Being able to observe all that information gives us a chance to to understand what works and change it. And in fact, marketing you mentioned as well, marketing went through this shift a couple of years ago, a couple of decades ago, and uh, it was called digital marketing. And um, you know, it used to be the marketing department was a, a lot more of kind of a, a branding department, and you would say, hey, you spent a bunch of money, but you didn't know which part of it worked. Well data came to marketing and you know what works now, you know which of your search terms are hitting, you know which of your organic terms are working, you can measure your events, you can measure everything. And it makes it much easier to spend your money effectively in marketing um, to be able to focus on the right buyers and and help them get into a sales cycle. And I think sales has just not had that as much because it has been such of a, a human person to person, in many cases on the road kind of activity. Um, but we do see that coming to sales. And even with people on the road, if you're not at home and working on a computer, uh, you know mobile apps obviously enable this as well. But I think we're starting to see what you can learn from sales to make sellers more effective and make sales teams more effective with all that data.
0: Huh. There's an implication that it keeps coming to me as you've been talking through, as you've been talking through this and even thinking a little bit about the technology statement that you touched on, In the beginning in an observability mindset from my vantage point it's like okay if you're if you're better tracking the individuals on your team if you're actually watching what they do and seeing how they do it you're going to start seeing how distributed the data is as you were talking about in the very beginning you're going to start seeing that oh there's four or five different places you're going to get access to the right information at the right time for the right customer and so like, there's this whole disconnect where you're, you, you see the waste that's happening. You see the barriers that are in front of your people every single day. So I'd love to talk about the technology specifically, and what technology do you see as really helping to enable this shift towards a more efficient in even a workflow in the way you guys specifically think about that sales off, but like, how is technology helping enable this shift? to make folks more productive?
1: That's a great question. You know, the tech landscape has changed so much over the last bunch of years. And I think there's a couple of trends right now, which are really enabling. Um, obviously there's AI, there's so much more we can do with AI. And I I won't belabor at that, that point, because there's probably a thousand podcasts being filmed right now on, on AI. But really when I think about it, I think of just distilling the right data in the right moment for the right person. Um, mm and really helping people navigate through a tremendous amount of data there's uh, some some different things you get from generative technologies as well but there's so much that that can do for workflow because in sales a lot of what you're doing is parsing through a tremendous amount of data think about a sales cycle with 15 different calls right there's a lot of data in each of those calls probably hundreds or thousands of emails going back right there's there's a lot of data there that you can actually leverage to help accelerate Mm. that sales cycle and serve the buyer but you need to distill it and bring it up so that's the first trend is how do you use ai to take some of that rote work out to take some of that swivel chair some of the tasks that are low value how do you use ai to do that and i think the second trend and this one is less talked about but really profound is putting people at the center it is workflow centric design and possibly because technology has moved so fast, we've had several phases of this. I would say the CRM was a database-centric design, right? We we built, uh, C- CRMs built a user interface around a database, um, basically an, an interface to a database, and then asked people to work that way. Go to all the accounts page to find your accounts, go to the CRM. You're basically training the human to interface more effectively with a database. Mm. Um, Then Hmm. we've had other kind of technology centric uh, movements where even some of the earlier conversational technologies or or AI were were kind of like, hey, here's a cool thing we can do. Um, Go figure out how you can use it in the sales cycle. I think the approach that we've finally been able to get to because technology has enabled us to get here is to be human centric and workflow centric. Hmm. I don't care about what data we use or what technology we use. I wanna make sure that the human is served in the jobs they're trying to do. And if you're familiar with Clayton Christensen, Jobs to Be Done, Innovator's Dilemma, it's really all about what is the human trying to achieve? In sales, that's progressing business and creating joint value for them and the buyer, right? It might be pipeline creation, it might be closing, uh, but that's what the seller's trying to do. And then there are people around them, like the manager and sales operations that are trying to help them do that. But if you focus on that and then bring to bear all the data you can bring to bear and bring to bear all the technology, but in service of that question, I think that's actually one of the most powerful things going on in technology today.
0: Yeah. Wow. That, uh, that's sticking with me. There's, there's a lot of interesting aspects of this. I think one of the, one of the pieces that I'd love your perspective on is when you're talking about this as, as people and, putting the person kind of at the center of this. Um, One of those people in this process is the customer. Yes. And how, given they control a lot of their own discovery process, research processes, like how do you see technology or how do you want CROs, CMOs integrating, bringing the customer and their voice into these technologies, into these workflows and processes? So that it ultimately helps the sellers help them more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Conversational technology has been huge there, and one of the shifts that we've seen is that buyers are much more willing to be recorded if they know it's mm-hmm. going to help them. So, for example, there's often handoffs in the sales process, maybe between a, a you know more junior seller and a more senior seller, maybe between pre and post sales or different ones in different teams. Buyers hate having to explain things again and again and again. Um, you know if a buyer has looked at a certain digital asset of yours, a a white paper or whatnot, been on your website, it's actually helpful to a large degree if you know that and you can direct your message there. So I think a lot of when you're serving the seller and helping them focus on the buyer better, the job of a seller is to create joint value with that buyer Mm -hmm. um, and, and also guide them because honestly, most of us don't buy things multiple times, right? Unless we're in procurement specifically. And so we may not know that, Hey, most of the time the CFO gets involved right about at this stage and you should probably prepare your business case buyer and I, the seller, I'm going to help you do that because I know how to do that and I've done it a hundred times and I know it's coming up and I have the time to do that because I'm not stuck in all these rope tasks. Um, that's the kind of thing that really helps a buyer. And, you know, I think you've probably seen this. I know I have, when you see a great seller, they form partnerships with buyers. Right. Great selling is it is serving. It's helping. It's creating shared value.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I think a, a really just tactical example. I have an email in my uh, inbox right now from, from a customer of ours that that's celebrating their their new relationship manager. And one of the things that was noted is he actually did his homework. He went yeah. back, listened to the previous recordings. He understood where our questions were. He understood what our concerns were and he proactively addressed them when we met. It's like yeah, technology is helping that two-way dialogue. Any specific tools that y- you are using or that are out there that you would want folks listening in to consider that helps with this, you know, capturing of data but really bringing customer's voice into the way they're helping empower their sellers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll I'll tell you we have we have conversational intelligence in the Salesforce platform because it is the voice of the customer and it's so key we do think workflow is the most important piece of that and then the conversational intelligence interleaves into the workflow so you can have the latest conversation or the first conversation anywhere you are in the selling cycle it's there it's really important context you can get to it but ultimately what you're trying to do as a seller is progress a deal and so you might have you know, 20 conversations throughout a deal, you might want to go back to all of them. And so we really think about workflow as the umbrella and then that voice of the customer coming through really strong in in a bunch of different ways there. Um, And there's there's so much power in that now, uh, whether you can see which speakers are speaking when or tracking different keywords or uh, any number of things that you can do in conversational intelligence now, and then marrying that up with the rest of the sales cycle. Because what happens in a meeting is so important, but it's not everything. It's not the email that you got from the economic buyer or your champion, right? It's not the text you got. It's not all of the different pieces. Um, one of the uh, one of the things when you take a workflow centric view is you actually start to look at all the things that go together um, and find a way to bring them in to the process versus think about well, uh, what are the pieces we know? Again, not looking under the lamp under the lamplight for the keys, but just really thinking holistically about how do we accomplish what we're trying to get done here?
0: Yeah, Ellie, you've covered a lot of great ground, Uh, gotten me thinking about a few things of how how I should be uh, thinking a little bit differently, operating a little bit differently myself. Um, Definitely got me wanting to revisit time spent and make sure that we have a dose of reality to what our team's going through every day. Before we wrap up, uh, love to give you the opportunity for any parting advice for our listeners any additional words of wisdom for them
1: yeah I, i'll uh, i'll add two one is just keep looking at how your sellers are working keep looking at your seller's day and the second and this is a little bit back more on the technology side um, make sure make sure all your vendors are playing nice together um, ultimately it's it's they come together in your seller's day. Your seller has to be the integration glue between them if they're not working. And so, um, you know, being able to take some of that brilliant marketing intent data, like, like G2 has, for example, and bring it to the seller and just put it right in front of them. Uh, you should be looking for things like that because if it's not happening in your tech stack, Hmm. it's happening between, uh, how do they say between the eyes and the hands, uh, at the, at the keyboard between keyboard and the, and the head. So, um, Your seller is having to do that. So really think about your seller, think about what they're able to do and make it easy for them.
0: I love that. That's excellent words of wisdom to end on. Thank you, Ellie, for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you for everybody listening in. Look forward to the next conversation. Have a fantastic day. Great to talk, Mike.